Amen, amen. You may be seated. So good to be God's people together. Amen? Amen. Before we get going, if you need a Bible, we've got a few stacked there. We're going to be in Psalm 128. If you didn't already and you're a follower of Jesus, in a few moments we'll be receiving communion where Maria just came from. So we invite you to grab one of those packs there. And uh, also, if you're a kiddo that didn't get your activity bag, go ahead and grab that activity bag. Last thing, shout out to those who are watching on the live stream, including my wife. Hi there. We're so good to see you all. So good to be here. It's been a busy day at the Neighborhood Church. We had a leader retreat for our neighborhood group leaders this morning. And a little bit last night, we were able to go and spend some time with Jesus and to um, encourage one another. And what was also a great encouragement was the eight or so other volunteers that helped serve at our neighborhood clothes closet. Mark, about how many families? 20 families that came through? Toiletries and clothes. Thank you for stepping up and serving there, loving our neighbors. As we follow God together, follow Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. All right. Psalms for the journey. We're looking at these Psalms of Ascent. That's a group of Psalms in the middle of the Bible, in the middle of the prayer book of God's people. And we find these 15 Psalms of Ascent are literally songs that they would sing on the road trip up to the temple. They'd pop it in the minivan, they'd hear these songs, they'd sing these songs, and it'd prepare them to worship the living God in the place where heaven and earth overlapped. These were literal psalms of ascent, but they're also psalms that we can enter into because we are fellow pilgrims on our journey to the place where heaven and earth overlap. But the challenge for us is that we're not headed to a temple, we're headed into our everyday lives in our everyday spaces. And so these psalms, I hope, have been an encouragement to you as they've been to me to sing and remind you that God is with you and He's not done. Amen? Tonight we're going to see a psalm that talks about blessing. And it's a psalm that gives a picture of blessing. And then it's a psalm that gives a word of blessing. So join me in Psalm 128, a song of ascents. And as you're turning there or swiping there, Isaac, my man, Can you help me with one of those communion packs that I asked everybody else to get and I didn't? Thank you. Psalm 128, a psalm of ascents. Everybody with me? Thank you, my friend. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord. That sounds strange. We'll talk about that in a moment. Who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands, you shall be happy. It's the second time he says happy. And it shall go well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine, life-giving in the childbearing and in the home within your house, right? Your children will be like olive shoots. Show of hands if you said, sweetie, you're just a beautiful olive shoot. This is the equivalent of saying, you are just the apple of my eye. You're young, you're full of promise. He's saying, the one who's walking in this way, man, you're going to be blessed in the life of your home 
and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. There's that phrase once more. Now the benediction, verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And watch this in verse 6. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. We're in this series, Psalms for the Journey. And in this Psalm 128, we're going to look at these four pieces of the puzzle. We're going to talk about blessing. And oh Lord, do we need some blessing in our life these days. Amen? Here's the four pieces we're going to look at. The first is the headline. The big idea that we see in verse 1. It's going to say, look, you want to know how to live? Here's a headline. Here's a, something to stake and build your life on. If you do that, we see in verse 2, this is the outcome. This is what it could look like. Number three, this is the picture. That's the olive shoot and the life-giving vine. You with me on that? And then finally, like we just read, verses 5 to 6, we see the benediction. You with me? All right. Let's look at the headline in these Psalms of Ascent. And to describe to you what I think is going on in verse 1, we got to place ourselves back in a water park. I see a fall t-shirt. Becky was wearing a fall t-shirt. Am I crazy? It's hot in here. I'm thinking water park. I'm thinking, in fact, of verse 1 as a lazy river. You see this image on the screen? That's not the lazy river at Hurricane Harbor. That's the lazy river I want to be at. Do you see this? This looks like a tropical paradise, and there is nary a child in sight. I love you, Emma and Nora. I love you so much. That's why we bought this house and got a pool, so that I can go and be in that lazy river. I didn't always love the lazy river. Is there any people that didn't like the lazy river? You've been in a lazy river, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, guys, when you're going along with the flow, right? But when I was younger and in the lazy river, it wasn't fast enough. And so you'd kind of trick it up. You'd have to bring some excitement to it. So show of hands for those of you who would get into the lazy river and say, nah, 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 we need to go to the black hole or whatever is at Hurricane Harbor. And, but you've gone past the stairs. What do you do, Will? You've got to turn around and you set your feet and you're like the news anchor in the hurricane going the opposite direction. You feel the full force of the lazy river. Are you with me? Am I the only person? It's not exactly like the picture we're seeing. But when I was a kid, I loved to just turn around and try to fight the flow of the lazy river. Now I can appreciate the lazy river. Now I want to be at that lazy river because I actually enjoy just being swept along. I don't have to turn and fight the current. I don't have to race my friends. There's something really wonderful about going with the flow and just letting the current move you instead of feeling the resistance. When we look at verse 1, that word that I read in this translation that says happy is a word that could be translated blessed. But it's a word 
that is contentment. It's a deep-seated joy. It is happiness, but not the kind of fleeting emotional happiness where we here in our culture, it's the kind of contentment of being swept along in the wave and wisdom of living God's way. To live God's way is to go with the flow of life as it's meant to be lived. Blessed, happy, content, joyful is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways, who goes with the flow. If we believe that there is a Creator, and we are made in this Creator's image, and we're living in the world in which this Creator created, it follows that we should probably consult the manual as to see His design for a life well lived. And the reason we have so much problems in the world is when our Creator is an other-centered God, God that Christians believe is revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community that is giving and loving. When we see a world that says, no, I don't want to give, I want to take. When we see others made in God's image and we say, I don't want to love, I want to hate. What we see is a group of people who have turned against the current and are going against the flow and they're going upstream even though God, who is love, explodes the universe into existence and is inviting us to life-giving relationship in His kingdom. And we say, no thanks, we want to go against the grain. So to reject God's way is to go against the flow of love and life itself because we believe that God is love and God is the giver of life. So verse 1, the psalmist says, you want to know a life well lived? Here's the headline. Happy is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways, who goes with His flow. And some of you say, wait, fear? Fear in the Old Testament is not to convey shaking in your boots. It's meant to convey a reverence, an awareness that you are the creator, that I've come to see in you life and love itself, and I want to go with the flow of what you're up to. It's living in light of who we know God to be. So when Jesus comes onto the scene, and he says, repent, how many of you know what the word repent means? I'll give you a quick hint. It's a change of what? Change of heart and a change of what? Direction. Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, dudes, you're going against the flow of the lazy river. And he shows them a picture and he says, but if you would repent, if you would turn and go back in the direction of the life-giving love of God, to repent from your sin, which is a rejection of God's way, you come into life with me and you see how it's meant to be lived. This is the headline. And it's a fear of the Lord that recognizes you're worth turning to and my way is worth turning from. There is a Presbyterian minister named H.H. H. Farmer. When I googled him, no one has updated his Wikipedia, and I was shocked to find that he was 128 years old. 
That's because they put his birthday, not his death day. H.H. Farmer, God bless you, he's gone on to be with Jesus. He's not 128 years old. But he said this, and I love it. If you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. Jesus came not just to remove the splinters. He did that. He forgave us. And he's bought us and washed us and adopted us. But more than that, he's shown us the way to real life and love. That phrase, fear of the Lord, to see God for who he is and to live accordingly, bookends the first chunk of the psalm. You see it in verse 1, you see it at the end of verse 4. It's a way of saying, hey, hey, here's the headline. If you're walking in his ways, if you're living in light of who this God is, not to shake in your boots, but to rightly recognize the creator, love, and life itself, to go with the flow, it's going to go well for you. On the slide here, I say, think, hallowed be thy name. Here's a practice to help you snap into focus perhaps every single day. In our podcast, we have TNC Daily Prayer. You can search that in the series, and it's a take on Brian Zahn's prayer school. So if you need some sheet music to learn to pray, you're tired of freestyling, try that on for size. You can download a PDF of it, and it gives you some language to help you pray. But one of the spaces where you do freestyle is in the Lord's Prayer. And what I mean by that is you're encouraged to pray not just our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're encouraged to riff a bit. You say, our Father, almighty and ever-living God, Abba, fill in the blank. What else could you say to address God? Let's freestyle a little bit. Our Father, what else? Creator of the universe. Sustainer, what else? The beginning and the end. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Father over and above all things. Here's the part that I love. Hallowed be thy name. Here's how I love to freestyle this within that daily prayer. To freestyle out of it. You ready? Hallowed be thy name. That's a way of saying holy, set apart, be high and lifted up. May your name be in the right place in my family, in my mind, in my heart. Would your name be the banner under which we live and move and have our being? You see where I'm going with this? To get yourself into a place to lift high, as we just sang, the name of Jesus and let all the other stuff find its place underneath. So often in America, we treat church as something to go and witness. We, we see it as an add-on, like we go and see a movie sometimes. Do we still see movies in theaters a little bit sometimes? So you kind of go for a couple weeks. No, no, no. No, when you say your name be lifted high, it's no longer just an add-on or a hobby. It becomes the setting for which our whole life takes shape. 
He's not just a compartmentalized piece of the puzzle. We put him at the top and everything else, our life, our family, our work, falls underneath the heading, hallowed, holy, be thy name. God, I'm living in your flow today in whatever shape that takes. If I'm home with my kids or I've got this crazy meeting I'm stressed about, would your name be put up high and let my life flow in accordingly? That's the headline. You want happiness, contentment, and joy? Get yourself out of the driver's seat. Put God in his rightful place and live accordingly. It's hard. It takes a lifetime, but it's what we're invited into to live into that flow. That's the outcome we see in verse 2. It's a happiness that's bigger than emotion. He says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy and it shall go well with you. And we say, oh, wait, what? That word happy again is a word for blessed. Blessed in verse one, blessed in verse two, happy, happy. It's blessed as a state of being that's deeper than an emotion It's rooted in relationship with the blesser. You with me on this? Because we're rooted in relationship with the blesser, capital B, we can say things like, it is well with my soul. Even though the surface is a raging sea, I have this anxiety, I have this emotion that is okay because guess what? You're human. But when you put God in his way, and you try to live in his flow, you can say, even though I'm a mess, can I truly believe in the deepest central part of me that I am one in whom Christ dwells? Paul writes in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a relationship who has blessed who? Us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Where? In your good works, in your emotional state, in how you felt today, or the worst thing you did yesterday. No. You are firmly rooted in Christ. You have everything you need. You're blessed. Even when you're at your worst. You can say, I'm happy, I'm content, the fruit of my labor, I'm moving ahead. I have a purpose because I'm rooted in the relationship with the Almighty God. This phrase, in Christ, is powerful, and we need reminding of it. What would it look like to change your week when that text comes through, that stress happens, what would it do to just wait, 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 let me, let me, let me be reminded, I'm one in whom Christ dwells. I dwell in Christ. If you've repented, you've said yes, and you're swept up in God's life, you are rooted in the unshakable kingdom of God when everything around you is shaking. Jesus never promised that your life would be free of struggle, but he promised that he would never leave you nor forsake you. And he promised his disciples on the worst night of their life, in this world you'll have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And if you're in me, 
There's nothing that can ultimately destroy you because life and love itself surrounds you, is within you. This is big, heavy stuff. In John 15, he says, Abide in me as I abide in you. And he says, you're already clean because of the word that I've said to you. So maybe if we go back to that slide to help us think of the outcome of living in the flow of God's life and love to walk in his way. One more, go back. If you think that you're already in the river. And the thing about some of those lazy rivers is, have you been to the ones where there's the bridge over it? And on the bridge, they have those water guns. Have you been in one of those? If you're shaking your head like Michelle is, that's because she's been splashed by those things. The real crux of verse 2 is you say, I'm not always happy. I'm not always joyful. I'm not always contented. Sometimes I get splashed. But Jesus says, you abide in me. You're forgiven. So maybe it's less about cleaning up. Maybe it's less about trying to get it all up together. Maybe it's just more about waking up to the reality that even though you're splashed and assaulted and anxious and hurting, could you get yourself to a place to sit with Jesus long enough to be reminded that you're already in the river and the discipline of the disciple of Jesus is to live your everyday life with an awareness of the fact that he is with you even when it's hard. So maybe you can learn to be content even in weakness and hardship. This is what Paul and others in the New Testament bear witness to. I am one in whom Christ dwells. If you've said yes to him, he said yes to you. And when you say yes to him, you are safe and secure in the unshakable kingdom of God. I'm rooted in relationship, swept up in the river. This is how I'll wrap up this second section, the outcome, with this. We don't walk in God's way to earn blessing. We embrace God's way, saying yes to Him, and we find that blessing is the water we're swimming in. There's a big difference there. You say yes to Jesus, not to clean up, but then you wake up and realize you're swept up in His life. Your sin is swept away. You're beloved. You're his. So you say, well, how do I grow? Come more and more to a conscious awareness that it's the water you're swimming in. Stay awake to his presence this week. One of the ways I think that we grow is we say yes more and more to the spirit of God. No, I don't want to forgive Say yes and see how God forms you through his power. No, I don't want to serve. Say yes and see what God does. I don't want to sit and be still. Today at our leader retreat, we had almost two hours. We had a four-hour time together. The woman who is a wonderful spiritual director, she had four hours. She gave two hours away to God so we could go and sit in stillness and quiet to hear and turn the volume of our life down. Wake up, stay awake, say yes, and keep saying yes. And we'll learn to live freely and lightly in the flow to put God in its rightful place, 
That's the headline. That's the outcome. And the picture the psalmist gives is the Israelite version of the American dream. But before we talk about it, I want to tell you what my dad's version of the American dream was. My dad, I don't know if you know this, Grandpa, my dad's dad. My dad told me, and I only realized this like a few years ago, that he said, I will have known I've made it when I'm able to purchase three things. I will give you 300 guesses. You probably won't get all of them. This man said, a baby grand piano, that checks out. Then he said, a roll-top desk, the height of luxury, and a grandfather clock. My dad told me this a few years ago, and I was like, really? And then I realized that we went from living in a little bitty house in South Garland to a very nice house is like twice as big or three times as big. And I was thinking, man, what was my first memories of that house? Me and my brother wrestling in an empty living room except for a grandfather clock. And before we had a bed in that other room, that man had a roll-top desk in his office. And as we're getting a couch shipped in. Here comes the baby grand piano. None of us could play. And yet, if you ask my dad now, 20 years later, what does it look like? How have you made it? What is your greatest blessings? He probably wouldn't put any of those three things even close to the top 100. He'd tell you about his family and his granddaughters, and he'd tell you about his health, and he's thankful to have a job and to have a wife, and he'd tell you about all these things, and it's interesting how the pictures can change and evolve. What we see in Psalm 128 is a picture of the good life, and for the psalmist in the ancient Near East, it's women who have healthy children, and who are healthy themselves. When you think about a mortality rate that could be about 50%, then you think about the benediction. He says, may you live to see your children's children when you'd be lucky to live that long and to see your children's children. This is their picture of the good life, and the content matters less than the image of the one who can give you this and even more. The American dream, the Kenwood dream, or the Israelite dream. The question is, what is the picture of the good life for you? And do we have an image of God that is miserly and more like Scrooge, or more like an exceedingly abundant giver of every good gift? Ephesians 3.20 is a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church, and he says this remarkable phrase, now to God, now to Him, who is able to do, watch, exceedingly abundantly above. Can I say that again? To Him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. That's like the extra most bestest 
Shout out Little Caesars fans. You can't even comprehend it. But even better than the extra most best is because when you open it up, it's really only $6 pizza. This is a God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all we what? Ask or think according to the power at work within you. What's your picture of the good life? And do you have an image of the Father who knows what you need and sometimes can even give you exceedingly abundantly what you can ask or imagine? Do you have a picture of a Father who can paint a picture better than olive shoots and life-giving vines, even better than good? Write down Ephesians 3.20 and dare to believe in a God who gives you more than you ask. How many of you prayed last night, please wake me up tomorrow? Or do we just take it for granted? And again, this is not an opportunity or an invitation to guilt. It's an invitation to gratitude for you to stop and say, I may not have olive shoots but I have reasons to sing. I may not have my dream job. I'm, in a, I'm not in a dream lazy river, but I have reasons to say thanks. Can we say some thank yous right now? Thank you, God, for what? For all things? What things? Blessings? What blessings? For health in a pandemic. Passed it with flying colors. A cool house to live in. We all start praying for a cooler church building to live in. God, give exceedingly abundantly more than five o'clock on a Saturday in a building that's been sitting in the heat all day. Amen. Amen. But if you don't, God, we trust that you love us no matter what. The picture of the good life, a father that gives us even better than good. Finally, that's the picture. We've seen the outcome to live and to stay awake into the flow and the headline, of course, to recognize this God. The benediction in verses five to four is what's on view here. Oh, I missed this. Thank you. Blessed in verses four to five is a different way. Earlier it says happy, this one says blessed again. This is a generative action, okay? The first two is happy because you're with the VIP, you're in God, you're in his life. This one is um, like a covering, a blessing poured over it. Blessed as a generative action. This is the one who gives. He gives you all these things. And it's, it's a way of saying, I have this, keep the water moving forward. It's a way of saying, hey God, keep the water going. Would you keep me awake and alive? Would you keep blessing? Because as James 1 says, every good and perfect gift comes from God, the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. He's not changing. He's always giving. Amen? And finally, the benediction. This is what we see at the end of our psalm here. The benediction literally means a good word. It's a word that invites God's blessing, the generative action to be poured out. Have you ever thought about why we say God bless this food? We've been invited a couple times to, to do house blessings. How about when we, we say, Lord, bless them as they go? 
What we're doing is we're pronouncing or invoking God to cover them with what he wants to do. To will good. To pour good. Bless this food. Don't let me get food poisoning in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless their journey. Get them safely there. Amen. Bless this house, fill it with life and love. Why we close our services every week with a good word of benediction is to raise the hand and say, may you, may God, may the good things he wants be upon you as he sends you out. Because when we invite that, when we ask for that, we begin to recognize that every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who is willing good things, blessing us with more than we could ask or imagine. Don't let a culture that doesn't recognize the giver or the gifts keep you malnourished. Keep asking, keep receiving. And recognizing the source. Because from the garden in Genesis 1, where he blessed them, to the heavenly city of Revelation 22, when he says, blessed are those who've washed and are clean. The Bible is a story of the blesser blessing his creation, even in spite of our attempts to reject dismantle or dismiss who he is and what he gives. The story of the Bible is one of blessing and goodness and to live in his way and to stay awake to that flow and to dare to believe that he has your good and that he can paint an even better, exceedingly abundant picture is to be aware of a good God who is willing good things for you, even in difficulty. So as we move toward the end of our message and prepare to come to the table, I want you to imagine that this psalm is about to be sung by a mass of people who have come to a temple to ask God to give childish childless families, children. A God where people are begging starving widows to be fed. A people who don't know how they're going to survive because they're living paycheck to paycheck and they're desperate for harvest to come. You have this mass of people that have gathered together and they've sought the place where heaven and earth overlap. And for a weekend, they've feasted with family and friends. They've heard the story of God's salvation, of how their great, 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 great grandparents walked through a sea on dry land, and it gives them just enough hope to call out again that God could help them walk through the storm and sea of the week ahead. They've sacrificed what they've had. They've prayed. They've wept. They've laughed. And they've heard God's law. And they've resolved to live and turn back to be in flow with Him. 
And they're wiping the tears from their eyes and they look up as a hush falls over the crowd and the priest puts his hand over them and pronounces a good word invoking a good God to will good for these people. Don't take lightly the chorus we sang earlier, you are good, good. It is a remarkable confession in a world that doesn't know the giver or recognize the gift to confess that he is good and in fact he's exceedingly abundantly more loving than you could imagine. So this priest offers a good word for a good God and he says from this encounter as you go into your everyday space would you be covered and stay connected as you leave the temple and hit the road again. You need this good word this week. Because we're living in a moment in our nation, in our world's history, where hard things are harder and sad things are sadder. And angry people are angrier. And what we need is more goodness. And we get there by being swept up in the flow, sitting and being rooted in relationship with him, asking, could you, God, please give exceedingly and abundantly even more than I can ask or imagine, and being ready to receive what he has. And we say, Lord, would we see our children's children? Would we see more peace? Would we see more of your reign on earth as it is in heaven. I'll let Eugene Peterson, who wrote on this psalm, have the last word. Everyone wants to be happy, to be blessed. Too many people are willfully refusing to pay attention to the one who wills our happiness and ignorantly supposing that the Christian way is a harder way to get what they want than doing that on their own. They are wrong. God's ways and God's presence are where we experience the happiness that lasts. Do it the easy way. All you who fear God, how blessed you are, how happily you walk, on this smooth, straight road. May God make our paths straight as we enter into our week, as we come to the table, that we would come to Him and find a real rest. That we would come to Jesus and find forgiveness and life. That we would come to the Holy Spirit who is breathing life itself into our lungs and inviting us to nothing short of exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine or generate on our own. That when we live the life in the flow of the life-giving love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we find love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness Gentleness and self-control, the way of God swept up 
as we walk with him. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As you go into your everyday places, remember that the God of the universe is surrounding and sustaining you and paving the road you walk with blessing because you are his beloved child. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. As you go into your everyday places, remember that the God of the universe knows you and sees you and delights to give you what you need and what you, when you need it. May the Lord look you full in the face and give you peace. As you go into your everyday places, remember that the God of the universe is your help and your shield, and his kingdom is now advancing in love and power until all things are made new. Go in peace.